Let's pray. Father, we are just so thankful and humbled this morning to be able to sit here in the presence of so many women that you have gathered in one location to talk about our identity in you. And we pray, Lord, as we go through this topic, as Jen shares what she's learned and what she wants to teach us through your Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts to be receptive to the, the truth that you are, going to get, you are going to give to us. We pray that you would expose the lies that we are believing, either knowingly or unknowingly, and we ask that you would help us to identify and accept the truths that you have for each one of us. We ask, Lord, that you would give her wisdom and also give her a calm spirit as she shares these things with us this morning. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. So for those who don't know me, uh, my name is Jen Dorslovak. I'm from the Beverly Hills Church in uh, Michigan. And the title of this forum today is Identity Crisis versus Identity in Christ. And today we're going to explore five main sections together. So the first one is going to be determining our crisis. The second one will be, so the first one is going to be where we're going to kind of become aware what the identity crisis is all about. We're going to kind of define it. Uh, The second one will be determining our battle, where we learn to recognize the lies and the labels of the enemy. Section number three will be defining our worth where we see ourselves through God's eyes. Section number four, discovering our purpose, where we know our worth so that we can show his glory. And lastly, we will declare our identity, where we stand firm in the truth of who we are in Christ. So we'll start with discerning our crisis. So as I've grown older, I've definitely become aware through my own personal struggles how much the enemy pummels and pounds us with lies about who we are. Almost daily, we are bombarded with all kinds of images, all kinds of messages telling us how we should look, how we should feel about ourselves, and the way that we should act based on those feelings. So today, we're going to explore the identity crisis that can result from living in this world and yet not being part of this world. So I'd like to start with a group activity um, to list some of the ways that secular society defines identity. So these would be roles or things that the world views as important and how identity is shaped. So I'm not looking for biblical answers at this point, um, but more from a secular standpoint. I didn't have a big enough whiteboard, so I'm kind of stretched across here, but I am going to try to match up your answers with some of the pictures I have just so that we have a little bit of visual interest. So... If anybody wants to start, any ideas on how secular society defines identity? Any thoughts? Pardon me? Love that. Okay, so that is going to be under social media for sure. How popular we are on social media. What your house looks like? Is that what I heard? Okay, we're going to put that one under possessions. So maybe what kind of car you drive, how big your house is. Good. How your kids behave. Pardon me? How your kids behave. behave. Okay. So we're going to put that under roles, I think. I like that a lot because I think that we have so many expectations as mothers. So we will do that under roles as being a mother. So it could be that you're a grandmother or an aunt, any of those. So I think I saw a hand in the back. How you look. Yes. So let's put that... First, I'm going to put that under appearance. So maybe 
things that we wear or brands we like. Your profession, so we'll put that under career. Good. Money. Money, yes, definitely. <laughs> Let's see, that is going to be our golden piggy bank. <laughs> Who you surround yourself with. Okay, I'm gonna put that under popularity. Kind of that whole like popular crowd, who your friends are, how, how important you are to, to people around you. Your okay, so like marital status, can, is that what we're talking about? Yes, absolutely, marital status. Okay. Okay, can we put that under maybe religion? I, that was a very hard picture to try and find. <laughs> so <laughs> we'll put it under religion. We'll, we'll go with a, a general blanket statement for um, religion on that one. <clears throat> yes, absolutely. Body image, that's huge. I used a picture of a scale. Just... <laughs> It was interesting finding, trying to figure out how I could match up everything. <laughs> so, all right, we have a few more. Anybody else? Perception that you're happy. Perception that you're happy. That's a very good one. If I had a picture, it would be a big giant smiley face. Let's pretend it's up there. <laughs> Anybody else? All right. Well, we'll start from up here. So these are the couple that I had extra. So accomplishments. So maybe where you graduated from, what school you went to, the letters after your name. How about awards and achievements that maybe you've won? Maybe you won employee of the day award or employee of the year award, something, something like that. How about your culture? So where you're from? Huge Canada flag there, just <laughs> for extra points. <laughs> How about your family? If you have kids or not, or if you have sisters and brothers, if you have grandparents, that's your family. I also put in here hobbies because they really sometimes um, can be part of who we are as far as secular society is concerned. How smart you are was another one that we thought of. So your intelligence or how well you do on tests. This one, there's sometimes where people find themselves, no value. Success, how well you've done, maybe at your job, your schooling, raising your kids. This one was more talents, so things that were given that we're naturally good at. So music, for example. And then the last one, the unknown, the questioning, I have no idea, I'm confused. We can also probably throw like sexual orientation under here as far as secular society is concerned. Okay, so there's our board. So as we can see from these pictures, there can be a lot of complex interpretations of identity based on society's definitions. There can be layers and layers of different pieces that form someone's identity, and that's usually where an identity crisis starts. We see and hear what society says and does, what our workplace or our schooling demands of us, and so we start to allow these ideals to define us. And so the battle begins. 
The following statement by Christian author Alicia Bruxport really brought this into perspective for me. Quote, Our identity crisis confiscates our confidence, plunders our purpose, hampers our hope, and pillages our peace. End quote. Plundering and pillaging, that really sounds like war to me. So make no mistake, there is a very real battle surrounding our identity. Satan's motivation is to twist good into evil, to cause confusion and distraction and pain. And it usually starts with a simple name tag and a look in the mirror. Have you ever walked through a house of mirrors at a fun park? The mirrors are made in such a way to show you different versions of yourself. Some make you extra tall, helpful in my case, or extra wide or really, really short. It's meant to be amusing, these silly versions of ourselves. However, this next quote from Christian author Sharon Janes really struck truth into my heart. Quote, Many women live in a house of mirrors, believing in distorted interpretations of who they are. And the devil polishes that mirror of deception daily. End quote. So, maybe this is how it starts. Maybe we take a look in the mirror, and based on what we think we see, what we feel to be true, we make a statement about ourselves. I am worthless, period. I am inferior. Someone called me that once, and it just kind of stuck. I am unlovable because there was betrayal and my heart was broken. Or maybe we introduce ourselves with some of the following names. Hello, my name is Failure and I can't seem to get anything right. Hello, my name is Regret and I am ashamed of something in my past. Hello, um, well, actually, I don't know who I am, so just call me confused. So, now we have these self-proclaimed name tags that start to stick, just like real name tags do. And the longer they stay on, the harder they are to remove. Or even more dangerous, we become comfortable with their presence, and then eventually we forget that they're there. This doesn't happen always overnight. Most of our identity crisis happens over time. Some of it is founded on pure lies, meant to purposely deceive us. Some we try and rationalize or justify as being a good thing. Other parts become dangerous, unhealthy obsessions. Or we try and problem solve on our own and apply our own solutions to fix the crisis. So let's see, worthless. So money can make up for that. So my career is now my priority. Inferior. Got it. I will place priority on being supermother of the year. No, 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 that's not good enough. Supermother of all time. That's how I'm going to get over this one. Okay. Unlovable. I will increase my social media status by adding more and more friends. Failure. Since I really don't like the number on the scale, I will eat more and more or less and less to ease my depression over what I look like. Regret. It's best if I'm invisible in order to hide my emotional scars, so I'm going to hide in this blackness of no value. Confused. Huh. 
Since I can't figure out who I am, I'm just going to give up and listen to whatever voice is shouting the loudest. Obviously, there are some serious dangers associated with these so-called solutions. What happens if I lose my job? Do I feel worthless again? What happens if my popularity on social media starts to decrease? Am I back to being unlovable? What happens if I am unhappy with that number on the scale? Am I still not good enough? What happens when my kids are grown and my mom role changes? What kind of identity crisis will I go through then? Do we then descend into depths of insecurity and anxiety and depression? But right now you're probably saying, hey Jen, wait a minute, wait. There are some good things on that board, right? Things that are good. Of course there are good things listed here. Like being a good mom, having a gift of music, doing our best at our job. Of course, those are good things. But let me be clear on this. We need to be aware that when we believe that our worth and our value is only found in these things, then they become our number one focus and our number one priority. We place all of the confidence about who we are and the titles that we hold, the positions that we're in at work or church, hobbies we enjoy, gifts we've been given, possessions that we have, families or cultures that we're part of, then they become more valuable than anything else. And they become the only way that we validate our worth. And that is exactly what we need to battle against. So let's use this visualization here that this heart is the true shape of our identity in Christ. But this is what it looks like when we try to fill up our Christ-shaped identity with other things. So maybe what we wear be, is important. Or our popularity is super important to us. That becomes a big priority. Or we put a big focus on our career. Or perhaps our schooling. Wow, this is kind of a problem because none of these pieces really fit into this heart. And no matter how I rearrange them, or maybe give something else a priority, these pieces are never really going to fit, ever. I'll even try just moving things around in my life and see if I can maybe, nope, they still don't fit. Okay. So it's obvious that we are designed with a Christ-shaped identity that only he can fill. So, who does Christ say that we are? God has already written the truth of who we are on our hearts. God says that we are redeemed, forgiven, and free, loved, and accepted. He calls us beautiful, precious, treasured, and cherished. We have become new creations, servants, and saints. We are ambassadors and stewards. However, unless we really dig into scripture and understand how God views us, 
we have a tendency to drop our guard and put our old name tags back on. Quote by Christian author Amanda Pittman, therefore the labels that we give ourselves become the reality that we live in. End quote. And then the devil has the perfect opportunity to tear our identity apart piece by piece. But instead of reaffirming what God has already written on our hearts, we try to boost our confidence by making other things a priority. We try to fill that spot with something else. We get busy trying to boost our confidence in other ways. Or maybe we frantically and desperately try to get those lies that we've been fed to somehow fit. But they don't, and they never will. This is a mess. We're back to an identity crisis again. So let's use a practical example to illustrate how this scenario could happen. I'm calling it the comparison trap. So a friend has a gift or a success or joy that you wish you had. The enemy is on alert. You compare yourself to her and have the teeny tiny thought that the grass is greener where she lives. Just a teeny tiny thought, mind you. The enemy straps on his sword. But then you look with longing at what she has because deep down, you really feel inferior. The enemy draws his sword. You let yourself believe that you really can't be happy unless, she has what, unless you have what she has, so you start to desperately desire her gift, success, joy. The enemy lunges. A secret battle wages in your heart, but you silently deny that it's called jealousy. The sword pierces. Insecurity grows, and an idea forms that maybe, just maybe, you could be better than her if you only try hard enough. Or, dare I even say it, try to take her down a notch by spreading just a little bit of gossip. The sword twists. You now feel better, at least in your mind, because you have successfully consoled yourself that you are not inferior to her. You've just become a casualty of the enemy's deception. Feeling better about yourself in this scenario became more important than understanding and believing how God views you. You spent so much time trying to conform to your own ideals or worrying about fulfilling the expectations of others that you missed the enemy's blindside tactic completely. You got trapped into thinking that you weren't good enough, and he led you down a path of trying to obtain validation from a source other than God. Quote from Christian author Amanda Pittman. The more we work to achieve our identity, the more inadequate we feel. End quote. We're so obsessed with trying to measure up that we forget that our value and our worth is already defined by God. And the truth about how he views us is written in his word. Defining our worth. To change the way we feel about ourselves, we must allow God's word to change our thought process. Romans 12.2 says, 
And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We must believe that our worth as a person does not depend on the validation of others. We must realize that we are not defined by our past. We must know that our value is not determined by a label given to us by ourselves or by anyone else. Let's learn to see ourselves as God sees us. Isaiah 62.3 You shall also be a crown of glory in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. So one of the most well-known crowns in the world's history is St. Edward's crown. In my research, I discovered that it has 444 stones, both precious and semi-precious, and it consists of nearly five pounds of gold. While it's never been appraised, the combination of precious metals and gems placed this crown around $39 million, and that's just one part of the crown jewel collection. Altogether, the collection is probably worth about $4 billion, billion with a B. That's a staggering number. So I thought it was very interesting that God says in his word that we are his crown and diadem. So I did some digging on this verse and found some real gems, pun intended, on a Christian blog posting. Quote, what does a crown signify? It's a mark of royalty. And what are crowns used for? They are created and bestowed in order to point out the greatness of the king. The crown proclaims that the wearer is victorious, claiming the highest honor. And the diadem shouts out that the owner is worthy to be honored and praised and given all acclaim. How is the Christian then a pronouncement of victory and honor? We are redeemed humans, recreated by his amazing power, held up for all the world to see, an example of mercy and grace, freely given, gladly chosen. Our very existence magnifies, symbolizes, and announces the greatness of our God. End quote. And what is the crown worth to the king? The crown is the king's most significant treasure. The one item in all his vast kingdom that is most precious to him. The piece in his collection that he spared no expense to have crafted into something of stunning beauty. And that's how God thinks of you more precious than anything else. And it breaks his heart when you, his cherished one, do not believe the value that he has placed on you. Someone of infinite worth, a shining example of his love and mercy. And listen to verses two and four. You shall be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord will name. You shall no longer be termed forsaken. What does that mean? You have a new name. Drop the old labels and call yourself by his authority, chosen, redeemed, loved, and forgiven. Sisters, it is time to take a stand and let the enemy know that we do not answer by any other name. Isaiah 43, 1. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. Can you imagine what our lives would look like if we truly lived every moment remembering to whom we belong? Our desires, our motives, our fears, our anxieties, our thoughts, our choices, they would all look different. 
because we have allowed his truth to fully sink into our hearts and minds, shame's story would no longer hold us captive. Regret's grip would be loosened. The not good enough would be covered by his grace. Selfish ambition would lose its lure. And the whispered lies we once listened to, they would be silenced. What an amazing amount of freedom that we gain from these truths. Ephesians 2.10 For we are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the word workmanship in this verse translates into masterpiece. And when I think of a masterpiece, of course, I immediately think of a work of art. One of the masterpieces that comes to mind, of course, is the Mona Lisa, one of the most recognizable and most loved pieces of art in the world. Another renowned masterpiece is Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel, the ceiling alone, which took him four years to complete. So truly, I can't draw a stick figure to save my life. So when I see a beautiful painting, I'm in awe of the creativity and imagination and expertise and attention to detail that the artist puts into his work. God has done the same with you and me. He poured every bit of his imagination and creativity into us. He lovingly paid attention to the details that make up who we are individually. And because he is our creator, his expertise made sure that we are designed exactly as he has planned. And so, our creator declares our worth. You are precious. Psalm 139, 16 through 18. Your eyes saw my substance, being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. Can you grasp that? God thought about you before you were even born. He thought about you as every moment of your life was recorded in his book, and he hasn't stopped thinking about you. A countless number of thoughts. That's personal, and that's precious. You are cherished. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God in your midst, the Mighty One, will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. What an amazing verse. Our Savior and Redeemer, the Mighty One, the Great I Am who spoke and worlds were created, takes the time to joyously sing over you. That's a tremendous way for God to show how much he cherishes you. You are loved. Jeremiah 31.3 The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. The Lord himself, he chases after your heart. He calls you by name, steadfastly whispering of his infinite love and his relentless grace. Can you imagine that kind of love? The kind that sacrificed everything he held dear in order to win your heart. The cross says you're forgiven. The blood of Jesus has washed you beautifully clean. 
The empty grave has made you free, and your heart is now sacred ground. That is love without end. You are beautiful. Psalm 139.14 I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. God, the master creator, he doesn't make mistakes. And this verse states that your soul already knows that. You were created by him, in his image, and for his glory. That is amazingly beautiful. And so, our purpose is formed because we know the true value of our worth. So, discovering our purpose. I did a search for purpose of life quotes and more than a thousand instantly appeared. That drives home the point that humans look for purpose in their identities. But we can see from some of the verses that were already read, God's word not only confirms our worth, but gives us holy purpose for our life. 1 Peter 2.9 But you are a generation, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So this verse alone puts to rest any questions that we might have about our identities. We've been chosen. We have royal blood in our veins. We've been made holy by his righteousness. We belong to him as his precious treasure. And he has rescued us from death and destruction and darkness. So then how can we do anything but declare his praises? How can we do anything but bring this good news to people around us? But how do we showcase hope when we are unsure of who we are? Our identity crisis just doesn't cause an identity crisis for us. It also causes a crisis for those who long to belong, for those who wonder at the purpose of life, for those who still despair in darkness. We need to know and understand and believe the value that God has placed on us. And knowing does not simply mean head knowledge about something. This is the deep understanding in your soul, the kind that is validated by the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. When your heart fully acknowledges that you and confirms that you are his precious child in whom he has poured every ounce of his love, your spiritual eyes are open to truly comprehend these truths. And then purpose and hope explode into a thousand rays of light that are easily seen by a watching world. Colossians 3, 12-14 Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Do you have a favorite piece of clothing? Maybe a really warm sweatshirt or a pair of pajamas that you love to wear? Maybe they're a bit ratty. Maybe they have a hole or a stain, but they're just too comfortable, too familiar to give up. That's how we tend to cling to layers of our identity that we deem important. We tend to wrap ourselves in comfy robes of self-importance, of self-will, of selfishness, of self-reliance. You get the point. But in these verses, God asks us as baptized believers to put on or clothe ourselves with the characteristics of Christ. 
But how do we really do that? Let's paint a word picture. This is us walking into a room. We have on our self-appointed name tags and we are holding our self-critical mirror in our hands. We look around and what do we do? We start cataloging. She's wearing nicer clothes than us. She has more friends than I do. I look at her success and she's definitely been more successful than me. I look in the mirror, I realize I haven't lost the weight that she has. The focus is on us. It's all about us, self, self, self. But what does it look like when Jesus walks into a room? He enters ready and willing to pour himself out for others. His eyes see the one who believes that she's invisible. His hands reach out to help the one who is struggling in her walk of faith. His heart weeps with the one who so desperately needs comfort. And his feet carry him to the one who feels abandoned. So how do we become like Christ? Sisters, it really starts with us realizing that we are looking in the wrong mirror. Our self-centered mirror shows us the scars and the flaws, the imperfections and the blemishes. And we really do tend to get stuck obsessing over that image. But the mirror of God's word shows us that we are flawless because of his mercy. The truth is right there in the beginning of this verse. In the ESV translation, this verse says that we are chosen and wanted we are made holy by the work on the cross. He calls us beloved. Beloved, remove the layers of doubt about who you are. Beloved, unburden yourselves from the negative thoughts of your worth. Beloved, get rid of the misguided concepts and priorities and lies and self-appointed labels that you have been duped into believing. Beloved, Replace the tattered robe of insecurity that you have stubbornly clung to. Clothe yourself instead with the beautiful, shining garments of Christ. Compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience, forgiveness, and above all else, love, which binds us together in perfect harmony. Dressed with these attributes, we as believers can effectively edify one another. Let's replace envy with genuine joy for someone else's success. Let's make a choice to be a trustworthy friend instead of indulging in gossip. Let's trade selfishness for an opportunity to bring encouragement to someone who is struggling. Let's choose kindness because it truly does produce a beauty that will not fade. Let the true reflection in the mirror show that we are a reflection of Jesus Christ. There really are so many ways that God can use us to further the work in his kingdom. So let's join together and declare our purpose for his glory. So we are going to declare our identity. A few years ago, I really found myself battling against some serious insecurities. It was... It was not, um, it was definitely a struggle in my life. It was something that I really, really had to work to overcome. 
Satan whispered all sorts of things into my ear. And I really struggled against the, the strongholds. So one thing, one thing that I did during this time was I took some time in my journal to write some personal statements of declaration that I still often refer back to when I find myself reverting to the same thought patterns about my worth. So today, I thought that we could use the following statements as a general starting point for our declaration for Christ. But I do encourage you in your own time to add some of your own personal items to these as well. There are handouts of this declaration, including the Bible verses, if you are interested in picking one up after the form. I declare that I'm a woman who has been redeemed, forgiven, and made free. Therefore, I am a new creation in Christ, no longer bound by my past. Since I have been accepted and named as a child of the Almighty God, I choose to extend to others the same grace, compassion, and mercy that were offered to me. I'm a daughter of the Most High King, empowered by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So I walk in godly confidence, assured that I am fully known and completely loved by God. I desire to follow hard after God's righteousness because I want to be a dedicated ambassador, faithful steward, and humble servant for the cause of Christ. So these are very powerful declaration statements. But how is it possible to walk in confidence as his redeemed and yet be filled with humbleness? How do we boldly make the statement, I am beautiful, and not be conceited? How do we declare ourselves a royal priesthood and not portray arrogance? I give you one word, gratitude. Gratitude that God has seen us at our worst and loves us anyways. Gratitude that we no longer walk as those with no hope. Gratitude that love on our behalf looked death in the face and rose victorious. Gratitude that he changed us from broken to beautiful, from orphans to heirs, from messes to masterpieces. Colossians 2, 6 and 7. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So abounding in thanksgiving, overflowing, flooding our hearts with sincere gratitude until it can barely be contained. This is the result of walking daily with Jesus, that we grow strong in the faith because we realize that our confidence is founded in his authority, his redeeming power, and his mercy. Colossians 3.17 And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So this is where it all comes together. This is where we apply who we are in Christ to all other aspects of our life. Once we define who we are in Christ using God's standards, everything else falls into place. So let's see here. Possessions, they won't matter so much when we realize the importance of being a good steward. Our negative body image, let's change the perspective. Think about it as taking care of the temple that God has given you rather than battling the numbers on the scale. Our talents and our hobbies, we willingly use them for his glory, not ours. Our career and our schoolwork, these are places where we are ambassadors of the gospel, 
focused on bringing the salvation news to those around us. Social media, this becomes a place where our posts and our pictures are a godly example of good choices. What about lies and confusion about having no value or worth? We can battle victoriously against them using the amazing love letter of God's word. That ever-present popularity contest, instead of choosing the popular crowd, let's delight in reaching out to those who sit alone, stand alone, walk alone. Our roles and our titles, we become women of grace, working together as wives and moms and daughters and grandmas and sisters and aunts and friends to further his kingdom by raising up a generation of girls who understand their own worth in Christ. This is who God says you are. This is your whole identity, where every part of you is fused together by the working of the Holy Spirit to be a complete and beautiful picture of Jesus Christ. So, I'd like to end in prayer. I know I did a lot of talking. We do have some extra time, so at this point, we'll probably open it up to a general discussion. If anyone has any comments, if anyone has any questions, if anybody has any examples of things that they've gone through in their life, we'd love to hear. And we could probably, Kelly, at that point, cut the mic. So, let's end in prayer. Father God, We come before you as women, grateful that you sent your son to die on the cross for our sins, grateful that you have made sure that we know how much we are loved, grateful that you have given us each other so that we can be encouragers and confidence and have confidence in our friendships with one another because we know that we are trying to walk as Jesus walked. Help us not to look in the mirror and see our name tags that we have given ourselves. Help us to look in the mirror and see the reflection of Jesus Christ because we are truly committed to be ambassadors of the gospel. I thank you for this time that we had to spend today. Thank you for your word that is our amazing love letter. Thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen.